You can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. We'll be continuing where Matt left off. We'll include uh, chapter, or verse 4, rather. And we'll be looking at verses 4 through 9. And um, some of you may have noticed, I am touching paper today, which is not usual for me. Um, I left my Kindle that I usually preach with at the school on Friday, and so this morning when I was getting my final preparation together, I realized that I would have to flip pages today. And so after uh, vomiting in my mouth just a little bit, um, I'm kidding. This is, uh, is going to work great, but uh, yeah, you might hear some little paper flipping going on. So looking at Isaiah 53, um, 4 through 9, what sense or spirit does the Christian seek to cultivate during the Christmas season? We hear statements like, keep the Christ in Christmas, Jesus is the reason for the season, and so on. But beyond being clever wordplay, because they are clever in their wordplay, uh, what do these statements even mean, really? Advent is a historic church practice in which we place ourselves in the shoes of God's people looking forward to Jesus' birth. But we know the end of the story, and so I think that sometimes we miss some of what Advent stirred up in God's people of old. I'm persuaded then that keeping Christ in Christmas, so to speak, should result in something more than simply adding the reading of Luke chapter 2 to our Christmas celebrations. Although this is a wonderful first step to worshiping Jesus on Christmas. I'm persuaded that the sense or spirit of Christmas and Advent is found by placing ourselves in the position of Old Testament saints looking forward to the Incarnation looking forward to that blessed morning when Jesus Christ was born. By observing the prophecies of Jesus, we step into the past where God's people were eagerly awaiting a Savior from their trials and from their afflictions. The Christmas story is not the beginning of the story of God's people, but rather it is the climax of the story. And so, as we look forward to Christmas, let us place ourselves along these, alongside these saints of old. Let us await our Savior, Jesus' second coming this Christmas, just as Isaiah and God's people awaited the first coming of our Savior. Now, to prepare us to understand Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53, we're going to consider the theme this morning, Jesus, our Savior surprised his selfish people by coming to endure our consequences willingly. That's a mouthful. Jesus, our Savior, surprised his selfish people by coming to endure our consequences willingly. The theme may seem like a mouthful, and it is, but it does help us look at our uh, points this morning. We'll have three. He intercepted our consequences Surprisingly, we turned away from our God selfishly, and he quietly endured willingly. 
So with that, we'll read Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 9, and then I'll pray. Starting in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. But all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we are able to look back in retrospect, that we are able to reflect upon the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We live in a blessed time with a completed Word of God. And so, Father, with these great blessings come great responsibility to understand and to consume your Word. And so we are here this morning to submit ourselves to you, to your Word, and to worship you by what you have revealed to us through Isaiah. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we get to pray. Amen. So our first point, he intercepted our consequences surprisingly. And we'll look at verses 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles open still, I will read them again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verses 4 and 5 are often quoted, even if you are not well-churched, so to speak. You might have heard these verses read before, and for good reason, right? Praise God for verses 4 and 5. I debated, when writing my points, to use the word scandalously instead of surprisingly. But I didn't want to have to say it over and over, so surprisingly is where we arrived. But verses 4 and 5 certainly are scandalous, right? Consider God himself being subjected to verses 4 and 5. 
This suffering servant, this king to come, this Lord Almighty will be stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But we do not see our Messiah ducking and dodging, but rather our Savior sprinted into the fire. What sort of king is this? What sort of king is pierced for our transgressions? What sort of king is crushed for our iniquities? Who is chastised on our behalf? Who is wounded that we may be healed? Peasants before the king. Surprise is the intended reaction from author to reader. In what world does it make sense for someone to take on the piercing, crushing, chastising, and wounding intended for another? Well, praise God. This is the world where that made sense. This is the world where that king took on these for his people. Rarely would we find anyone who would be struck and not retaliate. Far fewer would be struck and not even be provoked to anger. But not only, but only one would descend from his throne and humiliate himself so completely, so totally as to die as a criminal that he might deliver criminals from their rightful punishment. We're worse than peasants, Cedar View. We're criminals in the eyes of a holy God. And the king surprisingly descended to die. Our God would come to intercept these consequences from their rightful target, us. Isaiah proclaims, to God's people of old. And praise God that by his grace, we who stand here today to worship Jesus, our Lord, can look back and reflect on the cross even as we celebrate his birth this Christmas season. We do not see these things as separate events, but it is the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has delivered us from our rightful place of condemnation. And so, this week, as you prepare your hearts for Christmas and prepare your hearts in this Advent season, allow yourselves to be surprised by the gospel again. Just as a married couple seeks health in their relationship by cultivating a dating sense to their marriage, I challenge you to cultivate the same in your relationship with your God. We don't see our spouse dress up, men, especially young men, listen. We don't see our spouse dress up for a date night only to respond with a careless, yeah, yeah, you look great. You look the same as you always do. Yeah, yeah. Pro tip, not the right words when she asks, how do I look? Okay? You look beautiful. Right? Easy. Three words. You look 
beautiful. And don't you look beautiful? Right? Pray in your heart for God to soften it once again. And to tenderly consider the disgrace of dying a criminal's death. The humiliation of the cross and God's pursuing love that he sought, he intercepted these indignities on a behalf of his people. Just as you may be struck by the beauty or the handsomeness of your spouse afresh, so be surprised by the gospel again this week. Pray that God would soften your heart and that these truths that you may have known for many years or decades or many decades on decades, that you would be surprised again that the king would die for criminals. Pray that God would soften your heart so much that you would be surprised by the gospel again this week. He intercepted our consequences surprisingly. Jesus, our Savior, surprised his selfish people by coming to endure our consequences willingly. And now our second point, we turned away from our God selfishly. Looking at verse 6. Read verse 6 with me. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This one's also often quoted. Somehow not often quoted with verses 4 and 5, though, right? <laughs> we tend to quote verse 6 when we're disciplining our children or when we want someone to feel really bad about who they are and how they are, right? You are like those sheep that have turned astray. Every one of you. Sandwiched between the surprising willingness of our Savior to intercept the consequences of our sin and endure them on our behalf, this is the official mall map, you are here, of the text. Right? As we've discussed many times in our preaching, you're rarely the hero of the passage, okay? And when the Christian is, in fact, the hero of the passage, you can guarantee that he is the hero by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which do you know what that means? It's that God, yet again, is the hero of that text. Praise God. Our text this morning is no different. We are sheep. And not only that, we are dumb sheep. I had a different word. There's a lot of little ones in the room. We are not intelligent sheeps, right? But consider who Isaiah says these sheep are. We have turned to his own way. 
really helpful to have, you know, brilliant men like Motyer, pretty sure I also, this is from Motyer, um, making notes of the grammar of the Hebrew. So I know some Greek, not Hebrew, um, let alone, you know, most of us are not good at English grammar, not only a different language of grammar. Uh, but yeah, he made notes that Isaiah was very careful in how he spoke here. We, as a collective, have gone astray. We as a group. But not only that, like, don't think that you're getting, oh, well, you know, guilty by association. Everyone around me is messing it up for me. I was doing great. No, no. We have gone astray. And you, 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 me, have gone astray. And you know, an illustration that uh, has always struck me, um, it's, I can't preach or teach or think about sheep without this coming to mind, is the tendency of sheep to follow other sheep. So, as I understand it, sheep are trained from a young age to follow members of their flock. He's struggling. <laughs> it is ingrained not only by their parents, but also even down to their genetics. Like they are just designed to follow other sheep. So stay with me here. So if there is no shepherd and one sheep strays too close, to the edge of a cliff. Well, Fox News has an article from 2015 that tells us what will happen. So here's a quote from the article. First, one sheep jumped to its death. Okay, seems strange. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had gotten some breakfast, like these guys just wanted some eggs, right? Watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead sheep lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile, the Oxum newspaper said. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. <laughs> so first of all, it's devastating to consider that these shepherds watched as their entire livelihood, okay, was taken. <laughs> through the folly of one foolish sheep. And truly, to truly be there and watch this ordeal would almost certainly be gruesome, not pleasant to watch. However, <laughs> I cannot get past the cartoonish scene <laughs> of a sheep jumping from the cliff 
landing on the fluffy other sheep and just walking away. (laughs) That cartoonish scene aside, we are selfish sheep. We are convinced that there's something good off the side of that cliff. Each and every one of us, none of us are too smart. None of us are too self-controlled. We are convinced that there's something good off that cliff, and we go running. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because we were unable and unwilling, as Matt preached last week. We were unable and unwilling to turn from our own sin and submit to Jesus as Lord. Without him putting on flesh to be like us in every respect. That we might call him Emmanuel, God with us. Ma'ir again points out the precedence given to us in our self-will, what we want to do, as compared with the precedence of the servant's saving work, what Jesus did in verses 4 and 5, coupled with the new subject. Verses 4 and 5 are about Jesus. Verse 6 is about us. Putting these two things together is jarring, he says. It has the force of saying with astonishment to think that he would do that for people like us. For sheep that fling themselves off the cliff with all their buddies. In other words, where we turned away, Jesus stood in the way. Where we were selfish, Jesus was selfless. Where we were like sheep sprinting off a cliff, he was a good shepherd that grabbed us by the collar and saved us. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 say, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, says Micah of our Lord Jesus. Cedarview, praise God with me that while we are straying sheep, Jesus is a faithful shepherd. And this week, confess specific ways that you have selfishly gone your own way rather than following your shepherd. Because you have, I have. Confess, identify and confess Ways that you have been a sheep trying to head 
your own direction. And ask God for forgiveness. And revel in the grace and mercy that he extends to you. Remembering that he tramples your iniquities underfoot. Praise God. Consider that it was for the straying sheep going their own way that the shepherd had to die. And consider that for those knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are secure even in their straying. For we know that our shepherd seeks out his sheep, even the one out of 100 dummies that go their own way and put themselves in danger. Yes, Christian, even you. Even you, as you consider that you are too sheepish for God to save you, for God to continue his grace toward you. No matter what you have done, no matter where and how far you have strayed, all 100 out of 100 of our Savior's sheep will be delivered spotless and pure on that last day to worship him forever. Praise God. Rejoice again in the gospel this week. Jesus, our Savior, surprised his selfish people by coming to endure our consequences willingly. We turned away from our God selfishly, but Jesus intercepted our consequences surprisingly Our third point, he quietly endured willingly. Let's read verses 7 through 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By the oppression, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was to be cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Matt preached last week, and we felt the weight of our lack of ability and our lack of willingness to pursue Jesus as Lord. Having felt the weight of our sin and the burden of our responsibility before a holy God, it seems almost jarring then to picture Jesus the way he is depicted here. God's people look forward to a Messiah since Adam and Eve. They were looking for a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. But they weren't expecting a lamb. They were looking for a lion. Looking at the Christmas story, God's people longed for a warrior to descend from above and for him to crush Rome under his feet. But Cedarview, they searched the wrong places. They assumed wrongly and presumed to know God's plan. They refused to consider our text this morning. They couldn't comprehend God himself, the Lion of Judah, offering himself as a silent lamb. 
But church, Jesus did just that and more. He did not keep silent begrudgingly or frustratedly, but willingly. Where we were unwilling, he was willing. Our creator God was struck and pierced by lowly creatures such as us. He humbled himself over and over, not to respond in kind, with all of the power that spoke our universe into existence with but a word. This is our Savior. This is our God. This is our King. This is our Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The birth of Jesus is celebrated because Jesus died. And now we die that we may be born again. We're going to read verses 7 through 9 again. But I'll read their fulfillment in the crucifixion of our Savior from John 19 and 2 from Matthew 27. They'll be on the screen. But before I read, I want to stir you up. Reading passages of Scripture, long or short, should not be a time for you to daydream or zone out. As we read these prophecies of Jesus and their fulfillment, I want you to place yourself in the audience of the story. Place yourself in the crowd shouting, crucify, crucify. Place yourself among the bystanders who saw the sky go dark at the cross. Place yourself as one who watched that stone being rolled to close the tomb, punctuating the death of your Messiah. Hear God's word, be read aloud, and let the word wash you this morning. Read verse 7 in your Bibles with me. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And on the screen, you'll see John 19, 1 through 9. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again to say and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify. Crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a, a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Silent was he. Now in your Bibles, I'll read 
Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And on the screen, we'll look at Matthew 27, 45 through 50. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took, one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour, spoiled, old wine. And put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him, mocking him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Back to your Bibles in verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. To the screen, one last time, Matthew 27, verses 57 through 60. When it was evening, <clears throat> there came a, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he walked away. God's people may not have realized it. The disciples who walked with Jesus didn't realize it. But church, God's people were looking for a warrior when they were given a baby. They were looking for a king when they were given a servant. Cedarview, the Christmas story is the story of God himself putting on flesh to be in every way as we are yet without sin. He lived the life that we could not he took the punishment for sin that we deserved. He died. He rose again. That we too may have new life in him. And so Christian, as you celebrate Advent this week and this season, rejoice that though you were once unwilling and unable, we who have repented and believed have been born again. And we truly, through the Spirit's empowering, can be and will be willing to pursue Jesus. Ask again this week for the Spirit's help in making you more like Jesus as you endure trials of various kinds. And ask God to empower you unto silent endurance. Take an opportunity this week to pass up the opportunity to fight for your own way and sacrificially endure difficulty for the good of another. For your spouse, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbor, for your co-worker, for someone you don't know. 
And in doing so, reflect on how difficult it is to remain silent when you are wrong. How difficult it is to be unjustly punished. And consider your Savior who died a criminal's death and endured it silently. Consider the humility of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to offer one last challenge to everyone here to not make the same mistake that our forefathers made. When we celebrate Christmas now, as we celebrate the Advent season now, where God's people looked for a lion, they were given a lamb. But do not make the same mistake. Do not look for a lamb any longer. Because when Jesus returns, he is returning the lion. Allow urgency to take root within you in realizing that Jesus will return with the sword to destroy all who oppose him. He is coming, and he is coming soon, church. He will be coming like a thief in the night. And all those that do not know him, all those that have not repented and believed in him, they will fall by his sword. The lamb has come. The lion is coming. We can tell these that do not know our Lord Jesus that Jesus intercepted our consequences, surprisingly. That we have turned away from our God selfishly. And that Jesus quietly endured the consequences meant for us, willingly. Jesus, our Savior, surprised his selfish people by coming to endure our consequences willingly. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus has come as the lamb. And Father, this Christmas season, we celebrate that the lamb has come and we look forward to the coming of the lion, where Jesus will return and bring his people home. And so, Father, we recognize urgency this morning. We recognize that we ought to be making disciples of all nations as we are going in our lives, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded and baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, we love you.